0: Hi everybody i am jen johnson and this is thought by thought healing where i talk about everything related to chronic pain and chronic symptoms and how to reverse them by understanding the mind body connection i come at this from a christian perspective so if that's important to you then you are in the right place and i also interview experts and professionals in the field and today i had the honor of interviewing dr jennifer franklin and so we're today going to talk about a few concepts that i think were really interesting one is we're going to talk about how we are not in control the digestive process and how that's really important to understand when we are trying to allow rest and digest into our nervous system. We're also going to talk about um, how the concept of going to war with your body and hitting your body or being on the a different page as your uh, nervous system is not helpful and also hinders. And we're going to talk about feeling good, how to focus on feeling good and the role of relationships in symptoms. So I hope you enjoy a little bit about her as she is a unique mind, body, and gastropsychologist inspired by her own personal experience of healing and recovering fully from irritable bowel syndrome. She has been specializing in the treatment of disorders of gut-brain interaction and other psychological orders since 2001 and offers a wealth of knowledge, expertise, training, experience, and insight. While managing symptoms is important, Dr. Franklin's ultimate objective is to help people to heal and to recover. All right, without further ado, I give you Dr. Jennifer Franklin. I hope you enjoy, and I hope it is helpful for your own healing journey. Have a good week, guys. Bye. All right, good morning. Thanks, everybody, for being here, and specifically, Dr. Jennifer Franklin. Thank you so much for um, taking the time to share your expertise with us. So good morning. Thank you.
1: Morning, Jennifer. Thank you for having me
0: on your podcast. Yeah. Um, let's just start by you telling us a little bit about yourself and how you got into this work.
1: Well, it's uh, it's on my website, so I'm not shy about this, but I was diagnosed with irritable bowel syndrome as a teenager, and uh, I had some really severe debilitating symptoms, and it, you know, I'd say after about a year of having pretty acute symptoms periodically, but they were becoming more frequent. So at some point, um, well, I was seeing a gastroenterologist and that gastroenterologist was very progressive. So I felt fortunate. And this was, I mean, this was in the 80s, late 80s, when I started having symptoms. So it was a long time ago and he was very progressive. And right away, I'd say, as soon as they tested me for everything, Um, He said, there's nothing physiologically wrong with you and other than a a muscle relaxant, like back then they weren't giving kids SSRIs and doing things that I think they do now. Mm -hmm. He said, there's nothing more I can do for you, um, but I have a psychologist that I think you would benefit from working with. And so he gave me that referral after I think only two or three visits with him. Oh, wow. Yeah. He was very progressive. He was very comfortable Mm -hmm. making that referral to me. And I felt, um, uncomfortable about the referral. I sat in that referral for a year. I waited until my rock bottom, honestly, but at the same time I felt really cared for by him. Mm. And so what he had said mattered. It, you know, I filed it away. And when I reached rock bottom and there was, you know, I didn't waste my time with all these other things because he pretty much said like, you know, hmm. uh, there's nothing more I can do for you. He didn't really mention anything else. And um so, yeah. So then I went to uh, this psychologist and met with her once a week for a year. So I'm still in high school at that point in time. Um, I never talked about my symptoms with this therapist ever. I never thought to talk about my symptoms. I just talked. I literally just talked about what was going on in my life. Felt wow. kind of aimless to me. I didn't walk in with a plan or anything. I just talked. And within that year, I'd say like that year of weekly therapy, just doing that made about 50% of the difference. My acute symptoms went away so that I wasn't missing school. I was totally functional in my life. And the, you know, the sense that IBS was crippling me and taking taking over my life and making it impossible for me to function that, that just didn't feel true. So I, I was like, okay, I have IBS, but I'm able to live my life. Yeah. That was, that was good enough for a while.
0: Um, when he first suggested you see a psychologist, Mm -hmm. um, how did that resonate with you? I mean, this is in the eighties. It's not, I mean, it's still not common knowledge, but what, how did it, how did that emotionally impact you to hear that?
1: Well, it was, it was hard because it was somewhat validating that I had problems. And in my family of origin, I was kind of the identified patient it's called. So I was kind of the one that was more emotional and would get upset and would get angry. I was just the more emotional one, and yeah. because I was sensitive and everybody knew it, um, and I didn't feel that my family could deal with that very well. And so the last thing I wanted to be was the, the admitted problem in the family in my you know family of origin. And so that was really that was really hard for me. Um, but yeah. I knew that I needed support. And so I was willing to overlook, especially when I hit bottom and there's nowhere else for else, there was nowhere else for me to go. There's nothing else for me to do. And so I just felt like, okay, you know, like, what do I have to lose? I need to just suck it up and do this. And I did. And like I said, I got, you know, it made a big difference. And so by the time I graduated high school, I knew that there was a powerful relationship between the mind and body because nothing else had changed.
0: Nothing. Yeah. Yeah.
1: If anything, I had gotten more stressed because I was getting closer to apply for colleges. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so it was just really crystal clear. And then going forward, you know, when I applied to graduate school, it just didn't make sense to me to go to a traditional school that wasn't going to talk about the body. So I had to find something where we were going to talk about what I had experienced to some extent. So I could understand what you know, what I had been through and understand that mind body connection just didn't make sense to me to not include the body in the study
0: of psychology. Totally. Absolutely. So did you have to, was it hard to find a program that included that or was that? Yes. um, There was almost nothing at that time. I don't know if it's changed that much, to be honest. Um,
1: I think, you know, well, we can, that's a whole other topic that could bring us, um, of really far outside what i think your your audience wants to hear about but um but yeah it was really hard it was really hard to find a program and in the end i chose a, a relatively little known school um but i was so grateful because i learned exactly what i needed to learn to be effective in helping other people to heal and um and actually you know, I had already accepted that I had IBS and so I wasn't actually trying to recover, <laughs> but because I was at the school that I was at, I started learning things and I started tinkering and applying them to myself and and just just the environment that I was in every day at school ended up helping me to recover and um, so that was mind-blowing when that happened.
0: Yeah. I have, I have so many questions. Um, <laughs> Feel free to
1: say what some of them are. And if, you know, yeah. if I can answer them quickly, I will, or if we decide to go that direction, like we can do that.
0: Um, what I, I'm just curious for the, for the, so you 50% got better during your own um, time with your therapist that it sounds like uh, was just a loving relationship that um That helped, and then and then where did you go from there? Where was the rest of your healing in there? Ah, that's that's a book
1: (laughs) that I've been trying to write for a long time. Um, Yeah, yeah. That I think that in a way, a little less relevant in the sense that what I needed may be different what from what everybody else needs. Totally fair overall i can say that my path led me to get some of my long held emotional psychological even physical needs you know even my spiritual needs like i didn't realize that i needed i needed to find like calm and peace inside of myself i didn't know i was such an anxious person i didn't even know how anxious i was because when you're anxious your whole life it's really hard to recognize, right? It's like, you know, a fish doesn't recognize it's out of water until it's out of water. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So it, it was just a lot of different things. It's not any one thing, but it's not, not any one thing. All of those things bit by bit helped my nervous system to get a lot more regulated and, um, Help me to get my needs met so that I felt really good and connected in the world, connected to people who felt, um, you know, loving and kind and calm and supportive and emotionally available. And those are not things I necessarily had enough of growing up.
0: Yeah, um, that feels like a good segue to just say that I printed the ebook off of your website. It's called mm-hmm. Don't Hate Your Guts, right? Make sure I have that right.
1: I don't know. I mean, it's it's not really a book as much as it is an introduction to the way that I think about um, disorders of gut brain interaction and PPD and the nervous system and sort of my approach to working Mm. with people. So it helps. I think it helps offer some insight into what people would learn from using some of the resources on my website. and yeah, it might it might give them a taste of what it would be like to work with me
0: absolutely. And I just want to I just want to talk about this because it was fantastic. I highlighted it, wrote in it. Um, and for anybody who's in the middle of this journey, listen to this interview, check out Jennifer's um, YouTube channel. And also this book just has a lot in it about I, I read it as, a lot of what you would discuss more of in working with you and um just some tidbits. I love the language that you put around some of this stuff that um was uh it just shed more light on um, for me personally some concepts I'm familiar with, but I love the way you talk about it, it just makes it clearer. Um so thank you.
1: One, thank you so much for saying all this. I really appreciate hearing your feedback about the ebook. It- Oh, yeah, you're welcome. Yeah, it's really, it's really nice that it resonates with you and speaks to. You. And I, I so appreciate your talking about languaging because, you know, I do, I work, I've worked really hard over my career to be able to language things the way that I'm now able to. And it's it's nice that it's so well received by you.
0: Yes. And I think until you start to work on trying to language these things, mm-hmm. you um you might not understand how difficult it is and so i think that's why i'm impacted by this is cuz i try to put language on this stuff all the time and the way you put it is just beautiful and um it explains i think the way you word things explains things but it also gives me power to know where should where do i go with this information um for example we'll dive in um mm-hmm. one of the things you you say on your web uh, or it's either on your website or in the in the ebook or um the book that's on your website, that's printable. Um, uh, You say we are not in control of digestive process um, and thus seeking control of your digestive symptoms is a losing battle. Um, Can we just talk about that, unpack it? It's self-explanatory, but let's go there.
1: Okay. Um, Well, you know, I think it's a fact. We don't consciously control our digestion because if we could, if we had symptoms, we could just consciously fix them. Yeah. (laughs) So we don't consciously control our digestion. So attempting to control something we don't control, to me, is banging our head against the wall. It doesn't even make sense. Yeah. So I really don't want to foster. That. And that can be really hard for people to hear because I think it's only natural for our brains to want to control something that feels out of control. So yep. it's kind of a normal thing to want to seek to do, but when it comes to digestive problems, it's not an approach that ends up being effective. And in fact, I think it is part of what contributes to the symptomatology if not the digestive symptomatology, then more psychological symptoms like frustration, hopelessness, those kinds of things. It's, you know, if you're banging your head against the wall and trying to get somewhere, it doesn't work so well. And then we have feelings
0: about it. Right. And those, for me, those feelings showed up in my digestive symptoms for sure. So I, I feel mm-hmm. you there. So you resonate with that. Absolutely. Yes, for sure. Yeah. Um. Everything that I read on your website not only just resonates for what I know about psychophysiologic disorders, but also for me personally and in the healing journey of my own personal symptoms. Um, Can you unpack some ways that, that some messages that we get from just mainstream either medicine or however you want to verbalize that that really encourages us to try to control, to try to manipulate um, what's happening and what we're experiencing in our bodies. Some of that messaging, I feel like we have to fight up, fight against when we're taking this completely different route of healing. So, what are some common things and themes that you see? Mm-hmm. you want to fight I against.
1: Just what comes to mind off the bat are um, titles of books that I've seen that have control in the title, like "Control Your IBS Symptoms," or you know. You know, there's a book written by somebody I really, um, I really like and appreciate. But the book is um, called Back in Control. So there's just all these ways that, um, mm. that I think, the media and writers are marketing to this audience of people who suffer from all kinds of psychophysiologic disorders that feel out of control of their symptoms and feel out of control of their bodies and want control. It's just like normal to want that. And then there, there it is, you know, on the cover of a book written by an expert, you know, learn how to control your symptoms. It's very tantalizing.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yes. Um, I, I completely resonate that with that earlier on, you said something about, um, needing, I don't want to misquote you, but needing to learn calm and peace in the body. Um, do you see those things in, um, opposition to one another, this idea of controlling our digestive system, and many other systems that we experience, um, in our bodies. And do you see that in opposition to welcoming peace and calm and learning that as a way of life?
1: Yeah, I think so. I think, um, it, I hope I articulate this well, um, I think we try to control things that feel out of control. When things feel out of control, they don't feel good, right? So yeah. the attempt to gain control is um, a way of finding order out of chaos, right? Yeah. Um, and it's it feels like a need, like I need to grab control. I need to get a grip on this. And it feels threatening not to. Yeah. Like if we don't gain control, here's the problem. The setup is I either gain control of this or what or mm-hmm. else. Right. Mm-hmm. So the or else becomes this looming threat response that weighs on us. And it's just pushing on the button of fear in our nervous system and in our body. Right. Yeah. So really it's fear driving the need to control the symptoms, because if I don't, I'm terrified of what is going to happen
0: right yes
1: and so that's a that's a fight or flight response right yep your stress fear equals stress in the nervous system and turns on the sympathetic nervous system which is our fight or flight response system yep. and so essentially we're generating more stress
0: <laughs> yeah
1: and if we're generating more stress we're having a more you know our nervous system is in a greater state of activation or alarm right and more, you know, when the fight or flight button gets pushed, then it changes the way that our brain functions. It releases a lot of chemicals. It creates more energy in the system. Um, and okay. so it drives all of these stress. You know, it, it basically generates more stress, which is, um, you know, the best way I can explain it is when we get stress, when our fight or flight button gets pushed. It's a button that wants us to do. It wants us to act. It energizes us to fuel us to escape danger, right? And it does that by either charging up our, it usually charges up our limbs. So, hmm. you know, we either want to, you know, fight mm-hmm. or we want to run away. So there's a lot, Yeah. Um, there's just more energy in our body and our system. And then where does it go? Where does it go? Well, if we're actually escaping a threat and we do escape the threat and we survive, right? That's victorious, right? And then we can celebrate. And when we know that we've survived and the danger has passed, then our nervous system restores itself. The parasympathetic nervous system comes on And then we can feel finally calm and at ease and good again. Like the world is good again, right? There's no more danger on the horizon, right? I'm safe. But the problem is we never get there. As long as we have this threat response going, we're afraid of having worse symptoms and we can't fix the problem in the short term. We can't fix our IBS. We can't fix our uh, psychophysiologic disorder in the short term. Then we're basically contributing to this ongoing stress response that never gets resolved so we never get back to that state of peace and ease and flow in our bodies right yeah. so that's chronic stress or toxic stress and we're contributing to that by continuing
0: by continuing to seek control over something we don't control yeah um that's that's be- that's a beautiful description i, I see this cuz most of my symptoms were pain i see this as kind of the the pain fear cycle of yes. I'm afraid of my symptoms. So I'm going to keep pressing that, that fight or flight button that you're talking about. And here we are. Um, are we, are we talking about, I don't, I I don't know that I've ever heard anybody on this channel talk about the enteric nervous system. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Um, is that what we're talking about when we're talking about digestive, um, issues specifically, is that Um, an important? Right.
1: We have, Our gut is known as our second brain because we have part of our autonomic nervous system housed in the gut. It's kind of embedded into the intestinal walls and its primary job is to coordinate digestion. So when I say that we're not in conscious control of digestion, I really mean it because that part of our nervous system, which is part of the autonomic nervous system, which we definitely don't consciously control is really heavily involved in coordinating digestion.
0: Yeah. Beautiful. Okay. So um so we don't have control over our nervous system or our enteric nervous system, but we have some con- we have
1: control over our nervous system, but we don't have conscious control over our autonomic nervous system. And we don't that's have like that's it. like like the way I'm hoping parts- for. <laughs> there are parts of our nervous system we control. Yeah. Right. And there are other parts we don't. And, you know, but we have, here's the thing, we have great influence over what our nervous system does, and we have to act wisely and um, I'd say mindfully, um, Mm -hmm. and we can do that in order to influence our autonomic nervous system and our nervous system overall so that we move in the direction we want to move into we create right we create and take advantage of these opportunities for healing to happen
0: yeah and I want to get there, but there's something else that you that you said on your website that I want to bring up that, that I feel like links nicely with this first one. So the first one was we're not in control of the digestive process, thus seeking control of your digestive system symptoms is a losing battle. And the second one was, I think you're quoting um, a professor or teacher of yours, but go to war with your body and you will lose every time. Yeah. And then you say being frustrated by disliking or hating part of your body is essentially being at war with your own body. And I see kind of those two things a little bit as in the same hand. Um, can we talk about that? And then we'll talk about that influence you're talking about that we have over the nervous system.
1: Sure. Um, is there something like, is there a question
0: here that I can? Yeah. Make- <laughs> um, okay. This idea of going to war with your body. I I think that a lot of people re- will resonate with oh, shoot. Yes. That is what I, that is what I'm subconsciously doing. I'm not even aware of it, but I'm hating on my body a lot. Um, and I think a lot of people are kind of unaware of that until they see language like this. Um, what, I guess, what are some, what, what is some language or some, um, uh, what gives you an indication if somebody shows up in your office that maybe they are at war with their body?
1: Well, I think if we're angry, if we're frustrated or angry with our body or our digestive organs or some other part of our body, um, if we're frustrated or angry with our body in general, um, you know, you can hear it in the way people Mm. talk. like you know, I'm just so tired, you know, they, the way they say it is like, I'm just so tired of this, you know, Mm -hmm. yeah, you're tired of this, you're frustrated, you're angry, um, you're disappointed in your body, like all of these feelings are feelings that sort of allude to maybe the disliking or, um, hatred of our bodies. I think some people, I mean, some people that I work with will just flat out say it, like, you know, I hate that I have IBS, I, hate my you know gut you can also see this in um hmm. you know people that don't want to be touched right um you know we don't we don't want to do things that feel good i think there are people that when they feel bad they don't want to do anything that feels good it's it's a way of saying like i don't it's, it can be an, I don't know how to feel good right now because I'm so in the grips of feeling bad,
0: yeah. but it can
1: also be a habit. Like, you know, it depends on, some symptoms are more episodic. They come mm-hmm. and go and when they go, we have to know how to enjoy our lives to offset. I mean, for other, for many reasons, but in particular to offset all of those days of being in pain, right? like we need to go out and show ourselves a good time it's like okay life can be wonderful okay right now life is painful but i know that it can be wonderful because i just felt good a week ago or some days ago or some hours ago right so it helps it helps us to navigate the in and out of the symptoms you know the up and down of the symptoms and our emotions and you know it's like a roller coaster in some respects for some people for other people they have more um chronic day, daily symptoms where it's like, I always have some degree of symptoms and I can't shake it. Yeah, And um, for people who have, you know, really, truly chronic daily or almost daily symptoms, it's so important to break that up with connecting with things that feel good, because when you feel better, you know, and that's a relative term. We're not talking about going from feeling awful to feeling amazing overnight. We're talking about feeling just a little better than you do right now, because feeling any better than you feel right now, when right now is full of pain or discomfort is an improvement. Yeah. And if we can notice that shift, then it feels good. Like, wow, I can get here. I can feel a little better. And then we capitalize on that. Let's make another shift. Right. Mm-hmm. Let's make another. Let's keep moving in that direction, but we can't do that without these moments of feeling good or better. Yeah, and I think I've strayed a little bit from the question of, you know, and I. But I think it's all related that. Yeah. You know, when we dislike or hate our symptoms. And it's our body that's generating the symptoms or it's a part of our body that's generating the symptoms. It's really easy to go from hating the symptoms to hating our body. It's kind of one and the same. Yeah. Right. And then if we're hating our body, then we're hating ourselves essentially because it's our body. Yep. And if we hate ourselves, then how do we feel good when we have to live in our body we have to live with ourselves like how do we feel good we can't it makes it really hard to feel good and that's the goal here is just feeling good feeling a little better right now because we can only do that right now we can't do it in the past because the past is gone and we can't do it in the future because it's not here yet
0: yeah absolutely and i think that's that's such an interesting and important concept for at least for my healing. And I think for everybody else who has gone through this healing process of, of, we have to stop and pay attention to those minor, tiny, tiny shifts in, um, feeling better. Cause if we're looking for that huge jump, then we're going to be activated by fear because nothing's, you, nothing's you
1: going to measure up to that.
0: Yeah. Nothing's changing, even though it it is right. Right. And, and right. those little things are what, for me it helped kind of my nervous system go from fight or flight to rest and digest yeah. um but if i had not stopped and counted all of those tiny wins of feeling good um then I would have it right. kind of right. yeah disappointment yeah. um Okay, so my my third question was going to be on uh, focus on feeling good, which is also written on your website, um, mm-hmm. and was kind of pra- ask like practically, how do we do this? And I know we kind of just talked about that a little bit. Do you have any other anything you haven't said yet that you would give as a tidbit for how for somebody who's just been attending to their symptoms and their pain and fixing, controlling, and hating the body? Um, it's just such a cyclical habit. Um, any tips on how to make that shift?
1: Yes, I think there are some tips I can give, but they're not like necessarily easy tips. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Each, okay, so there, the way I think about it, there are essentially three sets of skills involved. One is awareness, but awareness can only get you so far, right? Because you can know something in you, you can know something mentally but still not be able to change anything. So that's what awareness has its limitations, right? right? So we also need a set of skills that fall into the category of mindfulness, right? We need to be able to slow down. Like we're not gonna notice these little things if we can't slow down, be more present, be more in the here and now, and engage in awareness from that place. So it's a mindful awareness. You can't do the awareness without the mindfulness piece and expect to really be able to change something, right? But on top of that, we need a third set of skills which fall into uh, a set of skills I refer to as embodiment. And we have to be in our bodies. We have to be connected to our feelings and sensations and senses and all of this stuff that happens in our body. You know. Um, it's our body that's generating these things. And we have to be connected with these parts of ourselves in order to notice these various feelings and sensations and um, thoughts too. But I think most of the people I see are are pretty connected to their thoughts. And it's the other stuff where we get um, a little hampered.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: So, So that's part of it. And then we also you know, so we need those three sets of skills developed. And then we also need um, other people (laughs) in our lives that help support our learning and practicing of those things. Because if you can learn those things in isolation, but then, you know, in all these different moments in your lives, as you're, as you're interacting with other people, they can go out the window if they're not supported in that relationship. So, um, so I think that's, that's important i also think you know we know the importance of psychological support and affection and touch and all of these things that help us to feel good right and connected safe you know it's other people that primarily help us to feel safe safe in our environment safe in our bodies safe talking about feelings safe expressing things and so that's a big category that i think needs to be um stated um Mm -hmm. And then I think there are other things that don't fall into any of those categories that are just, you know, opportunities for feeling good, right? That could involve other people and might not involve other people. Like maybe, maybe you really need to have alone time more so than you have in order to find some ease in your body and inner peace. Maybe you need to go out in nature. You know, we need to find these things that help us to feel good. And then when we feel good, we need to know how to sustain that. And part of that is attentional And part of that is, you know, having the ability to repeat these things enough that they start to make a difference.
0: Yeah. Yes. 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 I totally resonate with that last part. It's almost just like practice. Um, I want to land on this relational piece a little bit. So we so I, I, if I'm summarizing correctly, there's an awareness piece, mm-hmm. there's a mindfulness piece that we unpacked a little bit, and mm-hmm. an embodiment piece um that you also unpacked. And then there's this relational healing. Uh yes. and to me, that's the uh that's the difficult part because people are uh they're like us, they're wild cards, they've got their weaknesses and their strengths and um So I am sure there's a question in here for me. Let me find it. Um, how living in kind of this broken world and some of us, all of us are in relationships that in some way trigger us. How do we go about that when we know that there are some people in our lives that maybe, um, our, our, our bodies do and are triggered by them, um, do you suggest that's an open dialogue with people? How does that, what does that look like? And I know this well, is a huge question.
1: Yeah, it's a big question, but I think I, I think we need to back up and I need to fill in a little piece that maybe I didn't make totally explicit. So when I talk about the fact that healing is relational, mm-hmm. I'm not just talking about our relationships with other people. I'm also talking about um, our relationships with ourselves, right? We've talked yeah. about how to shift from, disliking and hating our bodies and ourselves to yeah right to embracing you know a more compassionate stance towards ourselves and so when i speak about relational healing i'm talking about relating to parts of ourselves that have perhaps been exiled that have been ignored that have been dismissed that have been invalidated um that scare us uh, that make us feel emotional pain right so That's part of it. But the other part of it is, um, you know, there is a part of it that relates to other people almost inevitably because, you know, we live our lives in the context of relationships. We can't, you know, as human beings, we are wired for relationships. We are dependent on relationships for our very survival. And, and so, Mm -hmm. The way I think about it, psychophysiologic disorders, um, particularly disorders of gut-brain interaction, texts of relationships and often have something to do with the way that our relationships are functioning. Yeah. And so um, it's important that we develop the skills I talked about so that we can start to see more clearly what's happening, right? What. Doesn't mean we have to like abandon our relationships. It doesn't mean we have to have, you know, conflict in our relationships, but it does mean that we need to look at how we're relating to ourselves and our whole selves. And we need to be willing to see how our relationships with other people are functioning and not just the people closest to us, but you know, relationships with all kinds of things, like how media affects us, how the news affects us, how, you know, hearing about this or that going on in the world affects us. Um, I find that people with, you know, I work with people who have disorders of gut brain interaction much more than I work with uh, other psychophysiologic disorders, but I have worked with the gamut over the last, you know, 20 or so years. And I, by and large, the people that I I see having these kinds of, um, problems are really sensitive people. And I don't think most people realize how sensitive we are. Um, we are wired to be sensitive for survival, right? That's how, you know, our nervous systems need to be able to pick up things in our environment in order to keep us safe when it needs to. And, um, and so all kinds of things affect us, and we need to be willing to really look bit by bit as we as we can start to see things more clearly at the things that are coming in to our nervous systems, whether we're aware of them or not, because, you know, we have such a thing as selective attention. So just because we're not aware of how things are affecting us doesn't mean that they're not.
0: That's good. So, yeah. 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 And I imagine that the the thing that we are talking about right now is um, is the piece that working one on one with somebody is so helpful for because we in a, in a podcast that's for all
1: um,
0: <laughs> uh, the amount of I don't know variety of different relationships and and the ways that they're going to look um, and feel to each of us um, we can't even begin to touch on um, all the many different varieties and variables that could be in there. Um, um, and that idea that you're talking about that sometimes we're just unaware and having another set of eyes on what, or maybe not eyes, but ears on what, what our, um, what our life is looking at in those relationships, um, can be really powerful.
1: Yeah. And I think if I can add one more thing, I think there's a really important piece here that I haven't named yet, which is that, you know, if we're thinking, thinking is different from some of the processes that I think are really important in healing, which are they don't involve thinking with our cognitive brain, right? Thinking yeah. and analyzing, those kinds of like left brain yeah. processes. Um, you know, healing is much more right brain it's much more about being in the here and now feeling and sensing what's happening yeah. tracking right awareness but awareness in a very particular way and um if we're just like seeking if we're looking for something we're often using that more analytical judgmental part of our brain that's um you know more rational and it's kind of on a quest to find something and it's kind of like the difference between um you know when you're scrambling to remember a word and you're working really hard like this one part of your brain is thinking 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 what's that word what's that word How, like i gotta remember that word and then if we just let go we just go okay whatever it's not coming let me just focus on something else move on yeah then what happens <laughs> you're like like all of a sudden there's an ease in that there's like I'm letting go I'm surrendering I don't know and that's okay and then what happens suddenly it arises
0: yep
1: it's a similar thing here it's like we don't want to work so hard at figuring stuff out thinking our way through like Okay, what is it I need to know in order to heal my my gut or my body? What is it I need to figure out here? What like all that kind of thinking that left brain thinking is really not that helpful past a certain point. I'm not saying it's not involved. It's involved all the time. Every time we make a decision, we're involving it. But there's this other part that if we can tap into through these these skill sets that I mentioned, we can just be and allow our bodies to take us on this journey to show us what's next. Yeah. Right. And and it will happen, but we have to get quiet enough and connected enough to these parts of ourselves in order for us to hear what those parts of us are telling us and to and then we need to develop some um some skills for discriminating between these you know, what these parts are telling us, like, do I do that? Or do I do, do I listen to this? Or do I listen to that? Um, So it, it, it takes some, you know, practice to get there.
0: Yeah. And to, to cycle that back around to the very beginning of this podcast, and this idea of controlling, Mm -hmm. I, I felt like when we were just talking about using the left brain, you know, to hyper focus on this, we're just back to pushing that, that control and that threat button, um, and trying to solve and figure out um, with yeah, our that's right brain, totally, yeah. yeah.
1: That's what our brain does under stress. Yeah. By the way, it you know our brain is designed to zoom in on the threat so that we can target it and address it. And so there's not a lot of space for anything else. But if we let go, if we let go, if we stop seeing the problem as a threat, right? If we start to learn ways to live. In harmony with our symptoms, I know this might sound radical and crazy to some people, but yes. if we can actually live in harmony and find ease, even though even though we have this you know digestive problem, if we can start to shift towards you know a more harmonious way, a more compassionate way of living with, not trying to fight it, we're not trying to control it, we're not trying to make it go away, we're not working at those things. Instead, we're putting our energy towards. Surrendering to what is, which is I have IBS or I have I have this chronic pain problem, and I and surrendering to I don't know I don't know why it's happening. Yeah, right. We can embrace that. You know, it's not a bad thing. It's just it's just a fact. I don't know why it's happening, and I don't know how to fix it right now. Right, and the more Mm. we can just accept that and embrace the truth of the situation as we know it today. Mm. It's not not to say we won't know. We know in the future what is contributing or why I have these problems. Maybe you'll figure that out. But right now, if you're banging your head against the wall, you don't know, and that's okay. And if we can just accept that, suddenly there's an ease that comes over us. And the stress of trying to figure it out right now when we don't know is gone. Right. And now wonderful things can happen because guess what? You've got the parasympathetic nervous system, the rest and digest system more turned on. And that's when healing is going to happen.
0: Yeah. Yes. It's so beautiful and so counterintuitive for us. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, if, if, you know, if this was the first podcast I listened to on this, I would be like, what you want me to accept my symptoms (laughs) and yes. And yet that's not what we're saying, but we are, um, it is is definitely the first step towards healing is accepting. And I love the word surrender. Like, Yes, the surrender to the moment. Um, even just saying that I feel I feel my body, um, that rest. Yeah. Have its yeah. place in my body. Um, yeah. So thank you. And I think I think we could do an entire podcast on a couple of things you've dropped and like. Mm, what did you, I'm going to not quote you quite correctly, but the concept of listening to your body and your symptoms and using your, your left brain, uh, I'm sorry, your right brain and what is your body asking for and all, and all that, yeah. uh, yeah. Is a whole nother subject. Um, yes. So, and exiled parts and, and all that. I, I love those conversations, but that will have to be for another day. Um,
1: I'm happy to come back, Jennifer. This has been a pleasure for me. And I, um. I really appreciate you're saying everything that you just said, you know, it is very, you know, the, what I, what I tried, what I did for myself to heal and recover from IBS is not, doesn't look exactly the same way for the other people I try to help, Mm
0: -hmm. but
1: Mm -hmm. overall there are some generalities, which is that it is really counterintuitive you know, the, the approach that I think we need to take towards healing is, is it's just not the way that we're wired to think about uh, targeting problems as human beings with, you know, a very sophisticated mind. It's, it's really counterintuitive and that's not how we've solved. You know, we've also reinforced, we've also reinforced, um, that, that way of thinking that we normally bring to problems because it's usually effective. And then we suddenly we find it's not effective with these problems. And we keep going with it. We keep going with the same strategy over and over because we really haven't learned how to do anything else.
0: Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Ah, okay. So we're going to, I'm going to ask you to just talk a little bit about people wanting to work with you or what programs you offer. But before we get there, um, do you have anything else that you, that's just on your mind, or on your body that you want to share before we get to that point?
1: Um, Maybe just that these things we're talking about might feel really challenging or really complicate, complicated or really involved. They might feel um, out of reach right now, but, you know, healing starts with what feels within reach, what feels accessible, what feels very doable, what is a manageable chunk, you know, or the next little baby step that feels doable or okay, right? Not so scary, feasible. And so, you know, we kind of have to waffle between, okay, I know where I'm trying to get to and I wanna develop these skills. And then, you know, we can take a macro view But we also need to balance that with really taking a micro view of like, okay, this is where I'm at right now. And this is the next little step that I can work on right now that that feels not overwhelming, right? It feels manageable. And, And we just need to set our sights on that and let go of the big picture while we're working on that so that we just stay in what feels manageable until we notice a shift. And then we can broaden the scope just a little bit. Exactly. And we come out again, and then we go back in again, and then we go back out again. I have this you know, great tool for seeing this, right? And this is what our body, this is what our nervous system is doing all the time when it's well-regulated, right? It it gets expansive when we can breathe deeply. And then when we get stressed, it gets tight and contract, we, our body gets contracted, our breathing gets contracted, right? And a well-regulated nervous system is always vacillating between these two, right? Usually this happens fast when there's a yeah. threat and then we come out again slowly and then we come back in. and yeah. um so we need, you know, we need to get back in the flow of life in and you know, that, yeah, in the flow. and you know, a, mm-hmm. a nervous system that's got a or a body with a physiologic disorder, psychophysiologic disorder is um it's a little bit dysregulated or maybe a lot. And so we need to, you know, my approach is to get the nervous system more regulated back in the ease and flow, right? So that it it knows how to do regulation once, but it doesn't know how to get regulated again once it's been dysregulated enough. And then it needs a lot of intervention. If it's been stuck in a state of dysregulation or a state of chronic stress, which is basically the same, it's saying the same thing. Yeah. Then it needs help. It needs intervention. It needs a person to do some interventions and it might need it usually needs other people to help
0: intervene. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I I love this analogy. That that um whatever it's called, that ball is, is Hoverman's Hober, um, sphere. There we go. Mm-hmm. It's it's a good analogy. Mm-hmm. Okay, so before we close up, let's um how can people get a hold of you? Um, are you taking new clients and what um programs do you have available for people? So my website is
1: don'thateyourguts.com. Just perfect. <laughs> don'thateyourguts.com. I, um, I have a number of online programs that people can do on their own. I have essentially two, um, two webinars slash audio series, um, The first is called The Brain Gut Connection. It's a five part webinar. It's offered as a webinar and as an audio series. Um, The webinar has a slide, a whole slide along with it. The audio series has just a few slides that are uh, sent as a PDF. The the content is the exact same except one difference. One introduces polyvagal theory, which we don't have time to get into. um, And the other does not. Other than that, it's the same content. It's going to give people more or less the same experience. So that's the brain gut connection, five part series. Then I have a three part series that's called the healing audio series. It's just audio. And I think both of these are, I know that they're chock full of valuable information. I've had a number of people comment on them. and let me know that they're full of information, even practitioners. So these are meant to be digested over time um, at whatever pace a person, you know, feels is right for them. And nice. yeah and um and I think those those materials are really helpful, no matter who you're working with, if you're working with another psychotherapist or psychologist or if you're working with, you know, some other type of healer, or even if you're not working with anybody, this might inspire you to want to do some more, um, deeper or yeah, some other types of psychotherapeutic work. Okay. So so that's available. And, uh, I always keep openings in my schedule for consultation. Um, even when I have a waiting list, which I've had for a long time, because there are just so many people that have these kinds of um, problems. And so um, you're welcome to reach out to me through don't hate your com, And um, you
0: know, if you're, if you're interested in a consultation, um, I'm happy to do that. Wow. That's, that's cool. Yeah. So people can schedule a consultation and just have a brief conversation with you about this. You can, and then is the kind of the goal, then you send them in a, in a good direction for them and help them uh, along that path? Is that what uh, the consultation might um, provide? You know, it's,
1: you know, I think it could provide whatever somebody is looking for that helps them get on the right path, but it's, it's not psychotherapy. Yeah. Um, it is a way for me to assess what might be helpful to somebody and send them on their way. And so if that's psychoeducation, if they mm. are Reticent to um to invest their time and money and energy in watching or listening to one of the online series I have. Yeah. Some people like to meet with me first. And then I, I huh. think I think some people think that that the series might not fit for them. I promise these series are really generic. They mm. fit for everyone, and you'll still get a lot out of it. Mm. Um, I personally would prefer that people come to me after um, watching at least or listening to the brain gut connection series, because there's so much information. I feel like they would come in with a lot more understanding of what needs to happen for their bodies to heal. And then we can just dive in and they might be able to guide me and themselves a little bit more And okay, here's what I think I really need help with and you know, often I provide referrals or give suggestions for the type of psychologist or psychotherapist that might be a good fit, because there are few psychotherapists that are trained in working with um, disorders of gut-brain interaction and psychophysiological disorders in general. Yeah. Relatively speaking, there are a few of us. Um, but I truly believe that. You know, it doesn't have to be somebody that has that training. It just has to be somebody that's going to meet enough of your needs to get you started for a while. Yeah. And then you might be able to supplement with some other things. If you can't find somebody in your area, in your state that, um, that has specific training in what you have. Yeah. Sometimes even the specific people that have training, they aren't the right fit for other reasons. So, sure. you know. I think healing can come from a lot of people. It doesn't have to be just a psychotherapist or a psychologist. It might not even need to be. Like, I mean, if yeah. what a body needs is, you know, to be touched, then you know, a massage therapist or a body worker could get you halfway there sometimes or maybe even all the way. Who's to say?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much for your, your wisdom, your time, all the work you're doing this in this area. We, just as a, I was gonna say as a country, but it's bigger than that. We as people need this kind of work. So thank you for all you're doing. You're welcome, Jennifer. Thank you again
1: for having me on here today.
0: Yeah. Okay, and thank you everybody for watching. And as far as I go, I will see you guys next week.